Hello and welcome to episode 369 of Retro Encounter, RPG fans podcast of many topics. I'm Mike Solosi, and today, you know what, I uh, I read and write about RPGs so much for RPG fan, I talk about RPGs so much on podcasts, sometimes I just want to look at a video game that's anything but an RPG, and uh, I'm going to express those feelings today in the show. Um, uh, listeners, maybe you uh, remember that we did two episodes about topics like this in the past, in 2022 and in 2019, we had episodes called This Episode Is Not About RPGs, where myself and other pot, uh, panelists talked about our favorite genres of video games other than RPGs. We're doing a similar thing today, but before I, I explain further, let's introduce the panel, starting with Tom Cox. Hi there. And Nick Mandracina. Hi, everyone. And making his RPG fan podcast debut, Ben Love. Hi, everybody. Ben, Nick, Tom. Uh, I don't want to do a genre discussion today. Um, maybe genre will come up a little bit, uh, especially about why we th- like things that aren't RPGs. But um, you know what? I think that most of the best podcasts are people talking about things that they're excited to talk about. So I ask each of us to, you know, do one of our show and tell episodes and just bring in two games that we love very much that are very important to us that are not RPGs. So instead of a genre discussion, this will be an individual game discussion. And uh, I'm looking at our uh, pre-list here. I see puzzles. I see horror. I see straight up action in 2D and 3D. Uh, I brought a fighting game, of course. Uh, so I, I, I'm pretty confident that we're not going to talk about RPGs for most of this episode. Um, so uh, uh, wh- what do we think about this topic? Are you excited to talk about it? Yeah, for sure. It's always always fun to talk about the things you like, and it's nice to switch things up every once in a while. I thought it'd be harder to come up with, with two games, but after thinking about it for even just like five minutes, um, it was really easy to come up with uh, some titles that uh, that really resonated with me that were outside of the genre. Yeah, I mean, I think it's funny to be uh, my first time on a, um RPG fan podcast, and I'm not talking about RPGs, but um, <laughs> the I really love the two games I picked, and um, I think it's good for everybody to get a chance to talk about things that are really outside our coverage, but that we really love and enjoy since everybody's got you know such unique and different tastes so i'm excited about it yeah i mean th- th- that's sort of the point uh all, all of us do have unique and different tastes and even though we uh work with a site called rpg fan all of us play video games and they aren't all rpgs uh so i i guess we can uh i'll, I'll kick off a little bit first uh i, I mentioned i brought a fighting game um and li- listeners i'm sure you're you have some guesses as to what it is because I've, I've expressed my love for Capcom fighters for uh, uh, for many, many uh, d- different episodes and, and on social media. And I've also talked about um, about SNK fighters a lot. Uh, like uh, like I remember the, I think the first time I really liked a fighting game was when I found, there was an old um, uh, Samurai Showdown machine at the uh, at the arcade at the basement of a hotel that I vacationed with uh, with my family like more than 30 years ago uh and i've 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 had different fighting game phases over the decades i I played an incredible amount of soul caliber one two and three in the first half of the 2000s but i'm I'm not doing any of those today well okay well technically i am but i'm technically combining those two of those today um capcom versus snk2 mark of the millennium was an early 2000s arcade uh, cps2 hardware i think uh, uh fighting game that was ported to the ps2 and other consoles it, it, I really think it's the bridge <laughs> between um, 
uh, Capcom's like the end of Capcom's weird versus fighting game uh, era with uh, Street Fighter Four, which sort of became their uh, their defining um, game for the second half of the two thousands. But CVS two takes uh, SNK character designs and Capcom sort of systematic technical fighting gameplay and combines both of those because I always thought that uh, SNK had sort of some really great compelling characters and beautiful animations, but Capcom fighters were almost always more uh, technically competent and, and just fun at a moment to moment level. But so to have like Capcom mechanics, SNK characters um, with a, a really brilliant version, like because like, they, there's even six styles of meter and super management, uh, which are called CAP and SNK. <laughs> and by choosing which letter at the beginning, you can, uh, basically, you can manipulate your super meter and special moves however you want. There's a there's a custom fighter mode. Uh, the the storyline is completely insane, where either Rugal uh, absorbs Akuma's powers or Akuma r- absorbs Rugal's powers, depending on whether you have more Capcom or more SNK characters on your team. <laughs> and uh, but it, it really is a, the 2D fighter that w- was my favorite for most of the 2000s. Um, and I, when I think about this game, I think of how much I, my, how much I love the characters of both of these series, how good this roster is. And, uh, going back to, you know, playing, um, Capcom games with my best friend, David on his PlayStation on sleepovers in the, in the nineties. So it's, yeah, this is a weird fusion of a bunch of things I love about fighting games. And I strongly recommend it to anyone that's curious about that era of fighters, so uh, Tom, Nick, Ben, Capcom versus SNK2 or any Capcom or SNK fighters in general, <laughs> what are your uh, non-specific thoughts? Yes, I'm a, I'm a huge Dreamcast fan, and I think uh, Capcom versus SNK2 is great. Probably the best uh, 2D fighter on the system. Um, that's mostly my experience playing it. I've never really played it in the arcade or anything, but um, yeah, I think it's it's a great crossover. Um, probably my favorite Capcom uh, crossover fighting game. Um, and the like you're talking about the with the styles and everything, it's it really makes the gameplay um, a lot of fun. I'm not like a really proficient fighting game fan. I'm more like a mash buttons kind of person, but um, you can still have a lot of fun with it, even if you're not super great at fighting games. So I used to be pretty bad at fight at fighting games, but I mean, just playing them so much and then following them like Evo tournaments and, and similar, I, I, and just through sheer force of will, I got a little better at them. And the dreamcast was a bit of a fighting game haven. Cause a lot of, it had a lot of arcade perfect ports. I mean, soul caliber one is brilliant on the dreamcast. It has probably the best console versions of street fighter three, third strike and Garou mark of the wolves, which are, I think sort of maybe two better games than Capcom VS and K two, but CVS two, like is such a good versus game that throws so many ingredients into the pot and gets it has something really fun and unique come afterwards that I, I think I agree with you. I think it's my favorite of the Capcom versus games, even though I, I'm, I'm not going to say it's as good as Third Striker Garou because those are two legendary uh, fighting games of that era. But uh, yeah. uh, Nick, or, Nick or Tom, do you know either of these? Uh, I haven't really. I'm not really much of a fighting game guy, but I mean. I'm a fan of SNK in regards to like uh, Metal Slug. I I didn't play the game, so I have no idea if there's. I'm gonna assume there's no Metal Slug characters in there, but if there is, that's cool. But looking at the character roster, I mean, the only character I even recognise is Terry Bogard. So that will tell you as much <laughs> as I know about this game. <laughs> there's no Terry. There's no Metal Slug characters in this one. I think there might have been a Metal Slug character in SVC Chaos or one of the other weirder SNK ones. 
Um, uh, the new King of Fighters game has a Metal Slug stage that looks amazing. There is a Metal Slug tank in the background of one of the stages in uh, CVS2, but no characters. That's a shame. Looking at the uh, highlight, I did a quick like Google search. I mean, the sprite art looks awesome. Yeah, incredible. Yeah, it's SNK artists um, doing the. Uh, I think Capcom and SNK artists did the did the artwork and portrait artwork for each for the opposite series <laughs> but all, all, all the sprites are um, made by the capcom staff that made this game and some of them look great like they i think they took yun and chun li right from uh third strike yeah which was which was only about a year or two earlier and the, and those and that game is incredibly well animated but they still have morrigan's uh 1993 darkstalkers one sprite and oh boy she looks awful next yeah. to next next to some of the ones made for this game or or the ones that are lifted from third strike it's it's but uh, so and and like a lot of it's straight from Alpha Three. Like I'm I'm 99 sure that's where Honda and Blanca and those guys have their sprites from. But it's 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 a messy game at times. But uh, the CAP SNK groove system and the custom combo stuff and I I love so much about this game. Yeah, it's very much a, a everything in the kitchen sink approach to making a fighting game. And like you're talking about the sprites being such varying in quality, I think definitely kind of like shows that. But it's super fun um and like who doesn't love having you know a bunch of different characters from a bunch of different fighting games all thrown into the same into the same game like i can't get enough of that kind of thing so <laughs> a huge yeah. roster huge roster yeah i'm not i i forget the exact count it's it's in the it's in the 35 to 45 range i think and i think this is also the last rival schools setting that we got uh from 2000 to uh whenever tatsunoko versus capcom happened which is an, another good Capcom versus game that I thought about for this list, but but then I realized no, no, my heart's with CVS two for real. Uh, but you know uh, that's enough talking about Capcom and SNK fighters. Although I probably could do an entire podcast just on those. Um, I, uh, but listeners, uh, this is still on PS three for at least a little while longer, and you can get good versions of um, games I mentioned earlier: uh, Street Fighter three, Third Strike, and Garou: Mark of the Wolves. Those are excellent, excellent choices to try out old. Um, uh, late '90s era Capcom and SNK fighters, but uh, uh, Ben, uh, I don't see any fighting games on your list. Uh, what's the first game that you'd like to bring for show and tell today? Yeah, so uh, the first game I wanted to talk about um, is Ape Escape Three, which, um, if you guys aren't familiar, is a 3D platformer on the PD on the PS2. Um, was developed by Sony Japan Studio, um, and uh, are you guys familiar at all with the Ape Escape series? Oh, I uh, I got close to a hundred percent on the first Ape Escape for PS One. Um, that game's weird because I think it was the first game that required use of a DualShock controller. Yes, that's um, correct. Yeah, yeah use the face buttons to equip items, and then the and then the uh, right stick tapping in different directions to manipulate them, which which got which gets a little weird at times. But it was ultimately pretty good. Like I I really like Ape Escape One, but I haven't played uh, the others in the series. Yeah, yeah, they definitely, um, the first one was definitely made as kind of a showcase for what you could do with the DualShock. And, um, you know, that kind of twin stick um, control scheme that you're talking about where you actually use the um, items or tools that the character has, like aiming them with the stick and everything. Not a lot of games would really pick that up, um, but uh, it's something that continued with through the whole series. And you're right that like Ape Escape One on the PS One. It feels a little stiff. The controls are a little are a little stiff. The movement of the character and the the jumping and the controlling um, your gadgets with the right stick can feel a little um, stiff at times. But with Ape Escape Three, um, the controls are a lot more fluid. It's kind of the 
you know, final refinement of what that style of gameplay would be like. Um, so that's kind of why I picked it. Um, I also really like this game just because of the um, the kind of kooky theme that it goes with. So Ape Escape 1 is more like a time travel theme. You go back um, in time and there's like dinosaurs. Or you go forward in time and it's the future and there's robots and all that. And Ape Escape 3 takes a um, like film and TV kind of theme to all the levels. So um, the setup is that Spectre, the villain from the first game, who is controlling all the monkeys. Um, he is trying to take over the world and he figures out that humans are like obsessed with TV and movies. So he gets all of the, the people monkeys to start um, filming like different shows and movies of different genres and stuff. And then he takes over <laughs> a satellite and starts broadcasting it all over the globe. So he can like take control of humans minds through the television uh, now, 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 listen, now, listeners, as well as Nick and Tom, in case you aren't aware, this is a game where an evil monkey like turns on a genius button on his helmet and frees all <laughs> frees all the other monkeys in the facility, gives them super smart helmets, and you have to run around and catch them with a giant net and catching yes. all the and catching all the monkeys <laughs> in each uh, 3D uh, platformy stage is the cr- the crux of most of the game. But you also have a lot of gadgets and tools that let you. Uh, solve puzzles and uh, and lure the monkeys into your traps it's like i i think the first ape escape is is a really really great three um early 3d platformer uh it's probably 99 or right at 2000 maybe for the ps1 mm-hmm. and, and again it was the first game that required use of a dual shock and then you know sometimes it, it's, it makes sense because like uh you, you tap the right stick in one direction that's where you swing your net or you you move around with the left stick and uh, your right stick um, controls the uh, your remote control car that can go under gaps to um, to uh, activate plat- buttons and stuff. But um, but Ape Escape Three is it's a smoother, more refined version of this. You say, mm-hmm. uh, and and there's still like I don't know between 100 and 300 monkeys that there's a checklist for that it'll yeah. give you it'll give you the personality profiles of every monkey as you catch them. Yep, that's right. Yeah, so this one, that's this what's one. Up. <laughs> so this one actually has over 400 monkeys sweet um, moses yeah oh my gosh. There's, there's a ton um and in this one you know so uh, a typical thing in ape escape series is the monkeys are wearing different colored pants and you can tell from the color of pants um what their ai behavior is going to be like yeah how so, they, 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 it's the danger pants system i'm aware of this yes yes so um like yellow pants are kind of like the standard monkeys um blue pants are the monkeys that are like scared of you so they'll um, run away even if they just catch sight of you and then the red monkeys are the aggressive monkeys so these monkeys have like machine guns or rocket launchers or all kinds of weapons and stuff often they wear sunglasses too and yeah, so the, the uh, black actually, and the black and red pants will are the ones most likely to have machine guns and sunglasses yeah yeah so in this game um because the monkeys are all um you know creating different tv shows and movies to capture the minds of the humans on earth uh, they're wearing like they still have the pant, you know, colored system and everything, but they're all a lot of them are wearing like different costumes that correspond to their roles in the movies. So you get a lot of like fun um, little like allusions and references to different like film and TV things. So um, there's like all kinds like there's one monkey that comes out of a well in one stage and it's like the girl from the ring. Um, <laughs> there's like a monkey wearing a Jason Voorhees mask in one of the stages um and you know in different parts of the stages so usually the stages will have like one theme and it'll usually be around either one genre of film or a particular film so let's say you might have there's one level that's based on the titanic and so you know you'll be going through like icy you know tundra area and then you'll get on the big 
ship that's sinking into the ocean and all that. Um, but then they'll have little like different references and stuff built into the stages. So there's one stage where you'll um, you're going through like a big uh, space station that's like the Death Star. Um, but in one corner, there's like the um, the like fallen Statue of Liberty, and then there's like a people monkey like falling on the ground in, in horror, and it's a reference to um, Planet of the Apes <laughs> at the end where he like sees that the you know he thinks he's on a different planet or whatever, and it's really Earth in the future, and the apes have taken over. Um, and so there's different like little things like that, little um, like asides and references to other films and TV. Um, and it's really neat to like find all that. And you're really encouraged to you know find all these little Easter eggs and hidden details because you have to catch all the monkeys. So the monkeys are incorporated into all that stuff. So a quick question about the, the Titanic level. Did they figure out? whether Jack and Rose could have both fit on the wall. <laughs> yes, so there is a reference to that. There is, like, a um, one monkey that's, like, sitting on, like, a, a floating, like, platform or whatever, and then the other monkey, like, sitting in the water. And then if you catch the one on top, the other one, like, swims away, and you have to get in the water and catch them. So <laughs> there's, yeah, they, I guess they, they said no, but uh, also he didn't freeze to death, so. <laughs> and knowing these games, you have to, like, catch one with the net and then hit one with your boomerang to stun it and then like yes. freeze the water in front of you to get to it or some nonsense like they they, they uh I, I mean the first one had i think eight items mm -hmm. um and, and the i'm sure later ones have more but the way that they cleverly combine platforming with these this wide variety of items they give you with monkey catching can get very very silly and, and this is a sort of a game that's that's aware of its silliness i think I mean, the Japanese word for monkey is Saru, and I think the Japanese name for Ape Escape is Saru Getchu. Yes, that's correct, uh, yeah. It was, so, like, like, these are very weird, silly, fun platformers, and I'm kind of amazed. I don't think they've made one since the PS3 era, maybe? Yeah, so the last, like, one that you could... Cons this was the last, like, mainline game was Ape Escape 3, and that came out, um, came out in Japan in 2005 and in the West in 2006, so after the, the um, PS3 was, like either already out or like right about to come out. Um, but there wasn't an, another one um, after that. Uh, that kind of took the, they also made some party games. Uh, one of those came over here called Pumped and Primed. And then the, the one after that was called, uh, it's like Million Monkeys. And it kind of mixes the mainline style of platforming and monkey catching with the like party game style. So it has multiplayer, but you still are mostly catching monkeys. The stages are a little smaller, but there's more of them. And there's some like other like RPG elements a little bit to that. Oh, okay. that, one. That's but that one never got localized, unfortunately. Um, it was announced and then like basically it got canceled somewhere down the line and they never did anything with it. Yeah. Um, and I know that there was a famously there's an Ape Escape cameo in one of the Metal Gear games. I yes. I, for, I forget which one, but, but like and and and, ha and Snake like uh sort of gra like growlingly and and uh, incredulously saying so you mean there's i have to catch this monkey like mm -hmm. is uh is is pretty well known i'm not a middle yeah. solid guy so i i don't even remember which game it, that's in yeah i'm i'm glad you brought that up actually because ape escape 3 also has um a metal gear solid cameo ah okay so uh one of the things that's in every ape escape game is like mini games that you um, can like usually like you collect through whatever collection system the game has um, and then you can play them sometimes they're multiplayer um, so in Ape Escape 3 there are three mini games but one of the mini games is called Messel Gear Solid which is like a portmanteau of uh, Metal Gear and Saru <laughs> um, oh yeah, and, and Saru. yeah that makes yeah. sense yeah 
And this mini game is actually like a fully featured like miniature uh, Metal Gear Solid game. So when you start it up, it has its own title screen. It has its own like saves and everything separate from the main game. Um, (laughs) It has codec conversations between Campbell and the professor from Ape Escape 1. And then also (laughs) between Snake and then the Peepo monkey that you're playing that is like um, impersonating Snake. So he's like dressed as Snake. And there's conversations between him and Snake on the codec where the monkey doesn't talk, but Snake talks to the monkey and like gives him pointers on like how to approach the level. Oh, jeez. Yeah, and it has like 10, I think there's 10 levels in that mini game. Um, and they're short, you know, you can probably finish each level in like five minutes, 10 minutes maybe. And, but... and if this is if this is a, a game with a lot of movie references, maybe they, uh, maybe like it's set in a monkey version of escape from New York or escape from LA. <laughs> if they, if they, if they really want the movie references carrying to uh, cro- crossover with metal gear to reach their logical conclusion. Yeah. So it's a, it's a really like fully featured mini game. So if you like, I mean, I think even if you're, you know, 3d platforming isn't really a thing, it's definitely worth it. If you're a huge metal gear fan, just to you know, it's a huge, like, you know, mini game for, for metal gear. Um, and like really an interesting addition, um, you know, that you wouldn't normally see in a, in another kind of game. So, um, and it kind of shows that uh, kooky kind of zany spirit that the game has, that they're willing to like go full bore and have a, like a whole miniature Metal Gear game with monkeys in it. <laughs> yeah, I, I only know the Metal Gear portion of it by reputation. And the only Ape Escape game I know very well is the first one. But yeah. uh, I, I, I genuinely love that game. And I'm, I'm glad that they at least carried it to one excellent sequel a few years later. Yeah. Uh, but it has been a while since we've had a proper Ape Escape game. I'm 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 curious if Sony would ever bring it back, but I don't know. Maybe we're more likely to see a Knack three than an Ape Escape four. Yeah, there was um there was uh, some talk um like they did like a they launched a Twitter account where they were teasing some Ape Escape stuff and uh, I think it was 2019. Oh, they had like a bunch of little tease, you know tweets where it was just like a it would be like a photo like a real photo and then there's like a monkey somewhere in it (laughs) like hidden or whatever and then that went for like a year and then nothing they just like said oh goodbye we're done you know and then nothing and then of course you know japan studio was closed so uh i don't i don't think there's anything in the future um for the games but unfortunately um you know the only way i think you would get um like a continuation is if uh the team, uh, Team Asobi, who did the uh, uh, rescue Astro Bot rescue mission games, um, maybe if they wanted to return to it, but I don't really see that happening, unfortunately. But um, yeah, uh, Ape Escape 3 is, is really good. Uh, I really recommend it. I think if you're a fan of 3D platformers of that era, um, then you should definitely check it out. Um, I think anybody who loves like Ratchet and Clank or Sly Cooper or Jack and Daxter would really get a lot out of it. Um, it's it's really fun. Um, one other thing I wanted to mention too about it in comparison to the other games is uh, that it has a transformation system. So uh, rather than the focus being so much on the gadgets this time, you still have like the core gadgets, but you also get these transformations and they are kind of themed along with some of the levels. So there's like a, a knight and wizard transformation. There's a uh, um, there's a Sentai hero transformation for the boy character. Oh boy, character, yeah, yeah. You know? And then the, you, you know exactly how to get me to check eBay prices yep. on this thing. Yep. And then the girl character, um, her version of that is a magical girl transformation. So 
Um, and those are like really interesting for the gameplay too. They give you different traversal options. Like the the ninja one, for example, can run on walls or run along like uh, you know lines, like clotheslines. Um, and the knight has like a shield and can block projectiles and stuff like that. So the levels are kind of built around you. Um, you know, transforming to get over an obstacle or um, defeat an enemy or something like that, transforming back and then using a gadget uh, and then going back and forth. And the transformation, it like, you just like hold two buttons and it opens like almost like a weapon wheel <laughs> of the different transformations and they're pretty instant. So um, it really is like this unique kind of um, system where you're running around the levels, platforming, trying to find the monkeys, capturing them, transforming into a different thing to get over an obstacle. Um, and it just is really fluid and fun. Um, you know, there's not a lot of games that really give you that kind of, um, freedom, like even Mario, you know, power-ups are limited to certain parts of the stage or whatever. And in this game, you can kind of play around with them as much as you want. And you can always go back and revisit old stages with the transformations and find new monkeys that way. There's a lot of like monkeys that require that. Oh, oh yeah. That, that, that's, that's definitely present in, uh, the previous Episcape games. Yeah. Okay, well, uh, Ape Escape 3, uh, that went into some depth that I frankly found almost shocking. Uh, and I, and uh, I, I'm not sure if I'm ready to, <laughs> to try another Ape Escape game for the first time in, in say, 23 years. But uh, I don't know, never say never. Uh, Nick, I don't think you have any platformers or fighting games in your selection here. Uh, what's the first game you want to bring to the table today? Um, uh, first game I'm going to bring up, uh, is a, uh, kind of a survival horror third person game from, uh, 2010, um, Alan Wake. I, uh, I picked up, uh, Alan Wake, uh, along with Red Dead Redemption thinking that, uh, I wouldn't play Alan Wake, um, and instead just kind of like couldn't, couldn't put Alan Wake down and never even bothered, uh, putting in Red Dead Redemption. Alan Wake is kind of a, it's kind of survival horror, um, but it's a it's a horror game uh, inspired by uh, Stephen King, uh, Twin Peaks, and The Twilight Zone. Um, it's Remedy, so the guys that made uh, Max Payne. And uh, what really kind of struck me was the the storytelling um, of Alan Wake. How you you're a writer, and uh, you have a significant writing writer's block. And uh, your wife decides that it might be a good idea to take a vacation in the in Washington. Um, and so you go to this little town called Bright Falls. Um, which is a mining town next to uh, this place called Cauldron Lake. And you're supposed to be staying on a little cabin uh, in Cauldron Lake. And once you get there, um, you find out that uh, Alan finds out that his wife had set up a a little office for him to, um, uh, to see if uh, he could write while on the vacation. And he, he gets a little upset about that because he thinks he's just supposed to be taking a vacation from writing. Uh, They have a fight. uh, The power goes out. And when Alan goes to kick kick on the generator outside, he hears his wife scream and returns to the house and finds out that she's completely gone. Um, shortly after that, he wakes up after a car accident, uh, having no memory of how he got there and uh, begins to piece together this uh, mystery about what happened to his wife and uh, uh, the mystery of uh, Cauldron Lake. Uh, what really struck me about the game is is how it's told. Uh, it's told through um, not just uh, through gameplay elements, but uh, there are a lot of like uh, dream sequences that Alan goes through uh, that have um, like TVs that are telling him uh, things that are happening. Uh, he finds pages of a story that he doesn't remember writing. Um, 
and he eventually finds out that what is happening, what has happened to him was something that actually happened to um, another character um, several decades prior uh, when he finds out that there actually hasn't been a cabin on the lake uh, since the 1970s. Um, another thing I like about Alan Wake is that it ha- kind of has like a transmedia thing going on with it. Um, recently remedy released not recently, but Re- remedies last game control came out and uh, in it, they featured uh, a DLC featuring Alan Wake as well as a little bit breadcrumbs about it. Oh, oh, I was ready to talk about control in this very conversation, but please continue. <laughs> <laughs> and um, there's also a, uh, there was also a blog that came out in 2012 uh, that documented a woman buying what she considered her dream home and finding a shoebox that had uh, pictures of the people um, that owned the cabin in the 70s, as well as poems written by the uh, the man uh, Thomas Zane. Um, and that's a fun little uh, you know rabbit hole to go, go down. Um, and that's uh, thishouseofdreams.blogspot.com uh, if you're interested. Um, uh, it's it's just a really fun uh, third person shooter. Normally, I'm terrified of horror games. Um, I bought the first Dead Space and uh, never never played it myself. I would literally invite friends over to play it because I was too afraid to play it. Um, and uh, so normally horror is kind of a no go for me. But uh, Alan Wake really really pulled me in, and uh, I, I don't know. I guess I overcame that fear by playing it. Um, and uh, uh, I think it's a. I think that while narratively it's not, <laughs> I think it's it's really interesting narratively, even though uh, it ha- has some pitfalls. Um, and I think that uh, as the first game, kind of in like the uh, remedy uh, universe, um, it's a very good game and a very uh, uh, and, and and a really excellent uh, third person survival modern, somewhat modern third person survival horror. Now, uh, you brought up Control and uh, referenced the Remedy universe. So that's what I wanted to talk about a little bit here. Like uh, the the Remedy cinematic universe, as it were. Uh, (laughs) Remedy's been around for over 25 years. They developed the first couple Max Payne games um, with Rockstar. But I think with Max Payne 3 onward, they've been all Rockstar. But then um, Alan Wake was all them. Uh, Quantum Break was all them. That that's a, a game that's in sort of an action adventure game where you get uh, time travel powers. Um, I think it was exclusive to Xbox One, but I I, I could be and, and PC. Oh, is that PC as well? Okay, yeah. that makes sense. And then and they also made Control a couple years ago, and, and Control was probably their most successful game. It's about like a hidden bureau of the American government that uh, examines um, uh, sacred objects or haunted objects or supernatural objects. So there's like. There, there, there's like a level where you where a a a, a hunt a uh, a fridge with interdimension powers is going haywire and stuff and and it's and and like and and it sort of balances this very corporate environment with this very supernatural focused um, gameplay uh, and you get a bunch of psychic powers and control as well but but the there there is a notion of a connected universe between Alan Wake Quantum Break and Control that is hinted at often um, Alan Wake uh, got a remastered version a, a year or two ago and I think Alan Wake two is happening soon. Um, yes. I, uh, I, I, uh, I, I know people have mentioned it, but I, I'm not an, I haven't played Alan Wake and I'm, I'm not the very connected to the remedy verse. So I don't, uh, I haven't followed the Alan Wake two news news much at all, but I thought control was one of the dopest games of 
the, the time it came out, like like early yeah. PS5, early um, Xbox Series X era. Um, I, I own it because it was free on PS uh, Plus at one point, and that thing is incredible. It, it's it. I don't think it goes as full um psycho uh uh what's the word i'm looking for like psychological slightly supernatural unsettling horror like alan wake does it's a little bit more um big uh bang boom explosion with that but it, it really does feel like uh a, a a more video gamey version of the x-files or something in, in yeah. that uh, and in a way that was uh that that was really compelling to me and got me more interested in alan wake remastered which came out a little bit after control although and although i never really tried any of that um so uh especially since control 2 was is confirmed to be happening and alan wake 2 is happening very soon um do, do you think we should dive deeper into the remedy verse uh yeah absolutely so uh, you touched on a few things, quantum break, which also did something very interesting where, uh, they essentially had a television show go alongside of it. So cut scenes in that game were like 15 to 20 minutes long. Um, and they, uh, hired actual like Hollywood actors, um, to, to play in the cut scenes. Um, and then control, uh, where you have, um, you play, uh, I believe her name is Jesse McFadden. Um, and, uh, she, she becomes the new, uh, director for the, uh, federal bureau of control. Um, and, uh, the entire game takes place in the oldest house where all of that weird shit is happening. Um, and then you find Alan Wake, uh, as a altered world event. Um, and then there's even a DLC in control where you, where, uh, Jesse, uh, helps out, um, Alan Wake. Uh, and yeah, I would say that, um, finding that's finding the Alan Wake stuff in control after having played Alan Wake, um, and loving it for so long was, was, I was ecstatic. I was, I was so excited. Um, and the fact that both games are getting a sequel, um, is extremely, um, I, I mean, it's, it's, it's going to be, I'm hoping it's very gratifying. Uh, I'm hoping both of those kind of interweave, uh, with each other and we're left with a very satisfying, I don't want to say conclusion because I have no idea what Alan Wake 2 is going to be like, but I'm hoping that the two intersect in a very satisfying way. Well, if, if there's leveling up and damage numbers, then we can send Jono and Mike some messages and see if we can get some review codes in. Our <laughs> but uh, but uh, Tom or Ben, have either of you uh, played Alan Wake or uh, other games in the Remedyverse, which is a, a term that I'm sure was invented a decade ago, but I'm embracing for the first time today? Um, unfortunately, no, I am. When it comes to horror, I just my tolerance is incredibly low, and one look at uh, uh, Alan Wake tells me that I would I would not make it to the end of that game. Control, though, it does it seems slightly less on the, uh, the spooky side, and that is definitely a game I, I'd like to give a go. I recently built a, a new PC, and I think that would definitely be like quite a, a cool game to check out on there with ray tracing and stuff. Yeah, I, I've played Alan Wake um, and some of the other Remedy games. I'm a big fan of the, the Max Payne series um, that they kind of got started with. So, um, But I think Alan Wake is a really good like entry point into horror games if you're someone who doesn't play a lot of horror games. If you find that like older horror games have more like clunky or difficult controls to wrap your head around, um, Alan Wake is... You know, from a studio that makes really refined, um, fluid third-person shooters, so you kind of have a lot less of those control issues or quirks with Alan Wake. So I think it's definitely like a 
a good one to start with if if you want to get into horror games and the story's pretty good and the atmosphere is really good like you guys are saying so um yeah it's a great one I, I regret to inform you ben that i think you're the only member of the horror super fan club here i'm in the uh somewhat scaredy clat cat group uh, alongside tom and nick i i played uh, until dawn for the first time a couple a, a couple of years ago and it took me like or actually probably only one year ago and it, I think it took me like three weeks just because the asylum freaked me out so much in that game. <laughs> I've I've played Until Dawn as well, but only because I played it with friends. Um, I couldn't have done that on game. my own. Yeah, that's I the mean, best I've, way to play it. <laughs> I've played I've played both The Last of Us, and and those games probably took me like a good like ten hours longer than it should have because I just had to keep pausing the game to, to calm down. I I think I liked the quarry more than Until Dawn specifically because there was more comedy and action and winking at the camera in it. <laughs> but uh, but uh, but uh, but both those games are good. But uh, we're we're not here to talk about that version of horror exactly. Um, but but um, Alan Wake psychological horror connections to other games. Uh, Remedies seems to be doing pretty well for themselves lately because I thought Control was really really cool. Maybe I'll go back and actually play that game all the way through uh, if I ever have enough time away from podcasting or playing games for podcasting <laughs> uh, we'll see but uh tom you're the only one that hasn't shared a game tonight and i'm pretty sure you're not going to share us uh much horror but maybe some spooky or scary things in these two games uh if if my memory serves so what are you bringing first today yeah so probably unsurprising for someone born in the early 2000s is um minecraft i think it's one of those games that, that hit a lot of generations, but I was in that perfect age bracket of I didn't have much money, but I had a lot of time, and Minecraft wasn't too expensive, so it took a, a lot of my childhood, to be fair. It was uh, sort of, before it, I had only ever played, like, I was a Nintendo kid, but it's the first time I ever sort of probably played a game on computer, and uh, we had, like, so, so much of my probably about how I must have been I think Minecraft came out in I want to say 2011 so I'd have been doing some quick math here about eight um and I spent a lot of my uh oh boy my primary so young. my young child, <laughs> young school years playing Minecraft with friends um I think what's what's so great about about Minecraft is there's just there's so much freedom and creativity and it's so accessible to everyone like i i played it with friends i've also played it with my mum and my mum you know she she's never picked up another video game in her life but um it's just one of those games that grows and grows and grows and they you know they're still releasing updates it for it today and i mean i haven't played it in a while I'm, unfortunately it's one of those games that i look back on with really fond memories but it was definitely there for me at a time and a place and i definitely struggled to go back to it now but it's just one of those one of those games that is just i think it's hard to like to fault it you know what i mean like i think it almost defines an entire genre of like that sandbox open world survival game and it's just it's a really special game to me you're struggling a little bit to nail down a specific genre for mine for minecraft and i think that's extremely valid because I mean, to a degree, this is a game we were trying to survive in a harsh environment where uh, I think they're called creepers, right? Uh, where, where, yeah. where, where, where creeper, where you're under threat um, very often from monsters, but also it's a venue of pure creativity because you can create almost any anything. But there's also a lot of specific, very video gamey rules about what is required to build what. 
but uh, but there are some astounding feats of art and architecture and even game design and music in Minecraft levels. Like there's a whole community of people that use like sound stones to uh, to play music via Minecraft and uh, and people that have, that have recreated other games with startling uh, uh, faithfulness in in Minecraft. And it really did capture a generation uh, in, in, in many ways that uh, Minecraft is used in schools. Uh, mine, uh, Minecraft is, was a community interaction tool for a lot of people. Cause again, you, you host servers or visit the servers of others. Um, so, so there's a lot of, uh, uh, just lovely, um, online inter interaction you can do in Minecraft and also some pretty heinous griefing by just vandalizing or destroying other, other people's creations. But, uh, I, I mean, I think this is, well, mm, I don't want to say I'm too old for Minecraft because I know there are people older than me who uh, who love this game very dearly. I, I uh, for reference, I turned 37 just last month, but uh, this really did seize a generation of children, and a lot of those children are in adulthood or even or even late adulthood now. This I, I think I, I hate using the words millennial or Gen Z. But this is a, I think, a definitive game or a absolutely indelible game for Gen Z and young and young millennials in a way that we're going to be feeling the repercussions of Minecraft and people that loved Minecraft and people that whose uh, own creations will be influenced by Minecraft. We're going to be feeling that for for decades. Yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right. But I think as well, it's it's like I say, it's a game that's ongoing. I mean, I think just the other day they they announced their their new update, which is the Trails and Tales update. And I had my uh, my friends, one of my best friends, younger brother, was uh, he was like, oh, have you heard about? Do you know what Minecraft is? And it was sort of that meme. It was like I was there when it was made. You know that kind of thing. And it's definitely. Um, I think you're right. It's a game that's going to stick Don't around. Don't talk of me time. of the deep magics. I was there when this <laughs> when the tablets were written. That's the one. That's the one. Um, it, it's definitely one of those games, like you say. It's going to be it's going to be around for a long time. But it's also something that I think um, we're only going to say see games become more and more inspired by it as the children that grew up with it start to create their own games. I, I was uh, overjoyed to be able to invoke old Clive Staples Lewis <laughs> in this episode, mostly because I love that his, his, the word Staples is in his name. Uh, uh, ben, you've been a little quiet here. Um, it was was Minecraft a major part of your life? Maybe not necessarily as much as Tom's, but uh, did you uh, ever have a phase? No, I mean when when Minecraft really came out and started to get big was right when I was uh, like a like a junior senior in high school. So I wasn't really something that I got into. But um, in undergrad and then right after undergrad, um, I was a children's librarian at a public library, and we had like a computer lab set up for the kids. And Minecraft was one of the things that we had downloaded for them to come and play. Oh, I'm and... the opposite of surprised. Yep, that, that, <laughs> yeah, that, that no tracks. kidding. <laughs> yeah, and they would make like so much like all kinds of crazy stuff they would do like all play all kinds of different like multiplayer games inside of minecraft like these like elaborate like games of tag and then they would build like i remember one kid built like a replica of his school of the, the school he went to in the in the game and everything like it was always really impressive um you know the things that you would see that they would they would do in that i think it's a it's a really um neat game that's kind of like more than a game you know it's a little it's like a game but it's also a creative tool it's also like a social experience for some kids and everything so um i think what's more interesting um really to me is the things they've 
they've done after Minecraft, like uh, Minecraft Legends that's coming out soon looks really neat. Yeah, and there um, was a, a there was a, t- a Telltale Minecraft uh, adventure oh, yeah. game. That's right. Story yeah. mode, Minecraft um, story mode. That's what mode, it was, yeah. right. And then is it Dungeons as well, Minecraft Dungeons? Yeah, Minecraft yeah, Dungeons. Dungeons. See, action RPG one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. action yeah, RPGs yeah. and adventure games are more my speed than what my, Minecraft actually is. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, I even shy away from... Uh, sort of hyper creative focused modes in games that I do do love. Like I, I, I'm I'm one of the biggest Dragon Quest fans I know, but I'm not a Dragon Quest Builders guy. But if you if you're exactly the right kind of person or exactly the right age to love Dragon Quest and Minecraft, then Dragon Quest Builders is is like something maybe you wrote in your diary several years ago. But uh, Minecraft probably deserves its own episode of. Or you know what? I'm, I, there's probably a thousand podcasts out there just dedicated to Minecraft because it really is a phenomenon that was a game and became more than a game. That the only thing you could compare it to is phenomenons of a similar influence, like like uh, maybe a Fortnite or a World of Warcraft. Even though the, those two games seem incredibly dis, uh, dissimilar from each other, like like those two and Minecraft were genre defining and generation em- em- embracing games. But regrettably, I have I have played less than an hour of Minecraft my entire life. I, I tried it once and and was a little overwhelmed and went back to playing. Oh, I don't remember what I was playing at the time. But let, let, let's say it was Monster Hunter Freedom Unite for the PSP. Um, but yeah, yeah, Minecraft is is more than just a building game and more than just a survival game. But uh, we've all gone into a little bit of what it is, but. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm wondering if I should never think about Minecraft again or give it its own episode later this year. I'm, I, I could go either of those directions. You can bring me back on for that one. All right, all right. <laughs> I, I will. I will make sure to uh, to not accidentally unfollow you from Twitter in the next few years. <laughs> but okay. Uh, in the interest of not turning this into a Minecraft episode, we're going to move on a little bit. It's my turn again, and. I'm thinking when I was trying to think of games to bring to this episode, I uh, was examining how my tastes and preferences in video games changed over the decades. Uh, I was very strictly into like just action games when I was starting out in video games. Then I discovered RPGs with Final Fantasy II for the Super Nintendo, which I became aware years later is actually Final Fantasy IV. And then I was I I became RPG obsessive. I uh, I started getting into sort of 3D character action games in the PS2 era. Uh, and and now I play more genres of video games than I ever did when I was younger. But I remember there was a time where I sort of rejected the idea of open world action games because I figured that they were too too open also meant they were too uninteresting. And I, I even feel that way, or at least used to feel that way about certain 3D Zelda games. But I'm not here to talk about Zelda. Uh, I, I want to talk about one of the open world action games that got me... Uh, more interested in the genre than maybe any other did, and is one of my favorite PS3 games to this day. Uh, uh, ben mentioned earlier um, uh, Sly Cooper and Ratchet and Clank and Jack and Daxter. Well, well those three companies, um, Naughty Dog, Insomniac, and Sucker Punch, went on to make a lot of different uh, different kinds of action games in the two thousands and beyond. Um, and Sucker Punch, which most recently came out with Ghosts of Tsushima for the PS4 and 5. Uh, in the PS3, they came out with a, a couple games called Infamous. 
in which uh, it, they're both set in open world cities. Uh, you're a, a a bike messenger or courier that is uh, that accident in an accident gets electricity superpowers, and the rest of the game is you solving crazy superhero conspiracies with your electricity powers that let you fly and zoom and magnetize and explode all around the city. And uh, the first infamous games, you get these powers, you fight a, a, a someone with powers like yours named Kressler. Kressler turns out to be you from the future uh, who, who decided to give himself powers earlier and harden you uh, to the to the realities of living with superpowers so you could fight the super the uh, the super villain that defeated him in the far future, and at the beginning of Infamous Two, that that super villain who's called the Beast destroys the uh, the the fake New York that you're living in, <laughs> and forces you to flee to the South to try and find out to, to try and, and get um, to get to get stronger or discover new technology that lets you fight the Beast, and and uh, that takes you to the city of New Marais, which is fake New Orleans, and. Uh, Infamous Two, it, 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 it's so it, it's it's basically just an open world game with superpowers, but the city of New Marais has so much character to it. Um, it it feels so different from a like a like the first Infamous game or even like a Grand Theft Auto game that's set in a fake New York because it, it uh, like it, it it takes you to a city that's been suffering where half of this where an entire quarter of the city is a slum because it was wiped out by a hurricane. There's sort of like a local right-wing cult slash militia that's trying to eradicate super-powered people, uh, but also you're trying to court, you're cooperating with a secret government agency that need, that's trying to stop the beast. It, it, there's so much going on in this game that I think of New Marais and this game with incredible fondness. Uh, and it's hard to explain without getting into a lot of story spoilers, but uh, there is a good evil karma system in this game, and it's maybe my favorite good evil karma system ever. Not because it does anything interesting mechanically. Uh, if you if you like like you know um, uh, solving crimes and and saving people gives you good karma. A lot of wanton destruction and killing innocent people gives you negative karma. The good karma powers are a lot more stuns and some ice powers. And the uh, bad karma powers are a lot more explosions and uh, and like like f and some fire napalm kind of powers, but th the story places that you go and your relationships with um with the the ice powers lady and the napalm powers lady and your best and your best friend Zeke change so much in the good and evil story paths that I uh, I, I still just look at YouTube cutscenes of this game sometimes because I I love the really interesting uh story choices and setting choices they make uh it, it feels uh, w w when i think of when i play an open world game nowadays or play a game with a karma system e even uh older ones like the Ma like like when i replayed the mass effect trilogy last year i i just wish they were a little bit more like infamous 2 and i and i'm and i'm aware that this is not a super popular or beloved game but uh <laughs> for, for some reason I I got really attached to this open world thing, both for the amount of freedom it gave you, and for the story things that it did, and the the act, just the abilities that you had in this game. It even had DLC that was like New Orleans uh, uh, vampire DLC that let you <laughs> like, like like search for vampires disguised as civilians and uh, drain people's blood to restore your energy. It got a little it got a little out of hand, but that was back in the day where a bunch of a bunch of games had Halloween DLC like. Uh, Oh, like Red Dead Redemption, Undead Nightmare, or the uh, the, the Sleeping Dogs DLC with Jiangxi vampires in it. Um, 
that, that was a fun era. But uh, Infamous 2, has, has anyone, is anyone here know a, a goddamn thing that I'm talking about? Because I'm aware that <laughs> nobody that I know enjoys this game as much as I do. Uh, yeah, I played the, I mean, I played the first Infamous and uh, I believe the, the um, kind of a download only game First Light, I think it was. Um, yeah, yeah, First Light is, um, that's the DLC for the PS4 Infamous game. Second Son, isn't it? Second Son, uh, then Last Light, maybe? It's relate. I think it might be related to Second Son, but I, I think it's a standalone game. Yeah, there, there's a first light, which was um, you play as Fetch, which is a character yes. from Second Son. Yeah, 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 okay. yeah Second Second Son is the third infamous game, and uh, and and first light was DLC with uh, with with Fetch in it. Yeah, her her powers are uh, are neon light related, basically. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. So uh, I, I I didn't beat Infamous One, um, but uh, I you know I I can see I I, I see what it did well. Uh, and, uh, I always kind of, kind of liked that series, uh, especially when compared to its contemporaries at the time, like, like prototype. Oh yeah. But prototype was like body horror infamous. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I played, uh, infamous too. Uh, it's really the only infamous game in the series. I, I really like, um, second son didn't really work for me. And the first one I think is just kind of hard to go back to these days. But, um, I think what they really understood with infamous two is it's, uh, when you're going to give the, the player like a big open world, it's gotta be fun to like move around in because <laughs> you're going to have to travel like these large distances. And so if that's not fun, then that's kind of where open world games fall apart for me. And infamous two, uh, where you're like grinding along the um, the like power lines and like shooting up the sides of buildings uh, really quickly and everything like that whole like parkour electric power kind of um, element to it I think is super fun. Um, so it, it just like makes going around in the world like a real joy. And that's a crucial thing in the Insomniac Spider-Man games that they've that 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 are which are all very good. I I, I like the the first two of those a lot because they made the web sw- swinging in those games really fast and fun and infamous two is i mean i agree it's the only one in the trilogy that is uh that is like really an a plus for me like the first infamous and second son are they're both fine but i know which one's my favorite but uh but but you're right like if an open world feels too empty or slow or it takes too long to get anywhere um, especially places you've already been before, then that that uh, makes it tedious very quickly. But they give you a lot of ways to get around the city very fast in Infamous Two. There's a uh, you, you mentioned the power lines, and if there's a, if a city has an electric sign in it, you can use it to like launch up the side of the building. Uh, there's a train that goes around, like a like a sort of a trolley that goes around the whole city, and you can ride on the uh, on its tracks, like grinding like Sonic the Hedgehog. Um, they do traversal and powers very well in infamous two. And I think it's the best setting in the infamous trilogy. It's I, I'm not saying go back and play all of them. I'm saying, go watch some videos about infamous two and maybe track it down if you're interested and have a working PS three. Yeah, I totally agree that the Southern setting isn't something you see in a lot of games. So it was cool to see a game kind of set in that like alternate universe, new Orleans and have that kind of vibe to it too. Yeah, they they made a Left for Dead two choice that I uh, de- that I that I deeply <laughs> yeah. appreciate. 
But well, uh, if you're uh, interested in an open world superhero action game nowadays, you probably are going for that uh, that spy- those Spider games. Uh, excuse me, those Spider Man games I mentioned, or maybe the uh, the upcoming Wonder Woman thing. Or uh, oh boy, I'm I'm a little bit worried about uh, Suicide Squad killed the Justice League after the last uh, video that we saw of it last month. <laughs> no, but uh, great. But- well, there's a Wolverine <laughs> game too coming out. I think yes, right? there is Everything's that. Good. Um, I have, I have, I'm just saying I have concerns, <laughs> but, uh, but, but infamous, but infamous two is great. And I probably should, uh, stop being a fake sucker punch fan and finally play ghost of Tsushima, uh, before too long, but I'm, I'm playing a different samurai game right now that maybe we'll talk about a little bit later. Um, uh, but Ben, uh, during the Alan Wake discussion, you mentioned how much you enjoy horror. Uh, the other game on your list is a little bit more horror themed than Ape Escape Three. Uh, care to care to, to tell us about it? <laughs> yeah, it's probably about as opposite from Ape Escape Three as you could as you could get. <laughs> um, so my my second game is uh, Silent Hill Two, um, and nice. you know I, I think it's it's probably you know one of the most classic games in the horror genre for sure. Um, you know what what words haven't been said already um, about it? So I'm not gonna. You know, spend too much time, um, you know, going over all the intricacies and stuff of of that game. But I think the thing that really makes Silent Hills two stand out to me, um, both from other games in the series and from horror games more generally, is that it's really focused on telling a narrative about um, the characters and their trauma, and then how that trauma um, affects them and manifests in their psyche and then uses the um, the world of Silent Hill to kind of as a metaphor for for the trauma and the things that they've gone through Um, which I think is a really um, I think it's handled really well Um, you know games don't typically deal with um, really intense subject matter uh, like Silent Hill 2 does in particular um, you know, you're dealing with concepts like, um, you know, uh, domestic abuse and, um, uh, you know, terminal illness and guilt um, and shame over, um, you know, the lack of being able to, um, you know, save somebody that you care about. Um, so I think that it does a really great job of, of putting you into the shoes of James, the main character and kind of taking you through as you travel through the town of Silent Hill, kind of it's, it's almost, it's not just that you're going through the place, but you're kind of going through his mind and reckoning with his feelings about, um, you know, his dying wife and and everything Um, in a way that I think, uh, you know, most games don't really get that, that deep about, um, you know, the internal psychology of the characters and the impact um, that those kind of, dark or depressing things can happen. I mean, how many, you know, JRPGs start with uh, a town getting burned down and their whole family dying and then, okay, now we're going to go, you know, fight the bad guy and we're off on a journey. And you don't really necessarily always see, like, what is the impact of that on the characters? Um, and that's something that Silent Hill 2 is really concerned with. And uh, I think that's why it's a, it's a classic and one of my favorite games, for sure. Now, uh, we've already established that I am a uh, crying widow baby when it comes to <laughs> horror games. So I, I, I know Silent Hill 2 by reputation, of course, but I've not played it myself. Um, but when I hear discussion about horror games where, and I hope this isn't spoiling anything inadvertently, where uh, 
basically uh some of the enemies in the game were apparitions or or uh the main characters suffering caused them to hallucinate or where you know a twist where it was in his head all along like sometimes people will roll their eyes and say silent to hill 2 did it first which is not exactly what happens in silent hill 2 but it, it, it's it, it's basically a game that uh that portrays a character experiencing trauma in a very powerful way that uh f- few games or perhaps no games have depicted as successfully since and i've heard a lot of people talk about how much they love silent hill 2 um oh shoot uh james stephanie sterling is uh is is one that comes is a very prominent voice in video yep. games that, that that comes to mind but uh and and it's considered an absolute classic of video game horror but i haven't played be, played it because i sometimes deliberately avoid classics of video game horror but uh but one last question for you ben uh before the discussion continues do you have an on an offline ps4 that is and re- that you are refusing to update because it has a copy of PT on it. No, unfortunately, uh, <laughs> oh, I, uh, rats. yeah, I had to, I had to relinquish my, uh, my copy of, uh, of PT, um, with my old PS4. So, um, you know, I don't, I don't have that anymore, but yeah, PT is a really, it was really great. It would have been cool to see, you know, Kojima's take on, on what Silent Hill could be. Unfortunately, we won't see that. Um, but, um, you know, there, there is a remake of Silent Hill 2 coming out. Uh, I'm actually not very excited about it cause I'm not oh, a yeah. fan of the developer. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah, that developer made a, uh, a slightly less successful yes. horror game a year or two ago. I With remember some people... interesting takes. Yeah. It, it talk about the opposite of, of Silent Hill 2. Um, it tries to go over some of the same subject matter that, that Silent Hill 2 does really well and I think does it really poorly. So um, I think it's another reason why Silent Hill 2 still holds up today is that you really don't haven't seen um, a game tackle those themes as successfully as Silent Hill 2 did. So, And, and uh, listeners for the initiated, uh, PT was a horror game from around 10 years ago. It stands for either playable teaser or playable trailer. It was a horror short game that had a bunch of uh, very complicated hidden puzzles in it that were eventually solved by the online community. Uh, and it was revealed to be uh, a, a game called Silent Hill or Silent Hills, perhaps, uh, with Hideo Kojima and Guillermo del Toro involved in its development. But after that project fell apart and and was canceled, um, PT was removed from the PlayStation Store and, and PlayStation Store updates removed it from people's machines as well. So people that love PT... Um, would deliberately like disconnect their PlayStation 4s from the <laughs> internet and keep them separated so PT wouldn't leave their machine, which sounds insane, but is also maybe <laughs> one of the strongest arguments I've ever heard for uh, for video game uh, preservation in the modern era. So yeah, yeah uh, if, if you know if you want to play PT nowadays, you either need to get to some very creative pirates or know someone that has an unconnected PS4 <laughs> with that game on it. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, that, that that was, I remember experiencing that news cycle as it happened, uh, was, was a wild ride. Yeah, absolutely. Ben, have you ever seen uh, Jacob's Ladder, the movie? Yes. Yeah. So yeah. And oh boy. Yeah. There's another <laughs> podcast I listen to that refers, <laughs> that refers to those, those twist endings as either Jacob's Ladder scenarios or for the, uh, for the hospital drama fans out there, St. Elsewhere scenarios. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I forget the kid's name in St. El- Elsewhere, but. It's all in his head. Yeah, yeah. In Silent Hill 2, the developers, um, you know, they talked about Jacob's Ladder a lot as an inspiration. So 
Um, if you're a Silent Hill 2 fan or a horror fan in general, you've never seen that movie, I would definitely, definitely recommend it. Same. Uh, I really, uh, Jacob's Ladder is a, a favorite of mine. And the original from 1990, not the, the one that oh, recently yeah, came out a few remake. years ago. <laughs> no, 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 that, that's horrible. The remake's horrible. <laughs> oh, boy. I, I mean, how many horror remakes do we actually like nowadays? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Nick... I don't think you're bringing another horror remake uh, to the show right now. I'm, I'm, I, I swear my next transition won't be uh, <laughs> about making fun of horror anymore. I promise. Um, un- unless there is something in this game that is much more sinister than I was led to believe. No, um, it, you know, and I actually thought about that this morning. Uh, I was thinking about, you know, how interesting it would be if there was. And uh, I think I like it in its purest form. The The next game uh, is, uh, my game is, uh, Wilm- Wilmot's warehouse. And it's a, uh, it's like a top-down puzzle game, 2d puzzle game where, uh, Wilmot works in uh, a warehouse for a company called a five logistics. And he's just a little square with a smiley face. And, uh, every month, uh, a truck comes by and drops off about 30 boxes. Um, and a graphic designer just went ham and just made a whole bunch of different logos. And each box is a different logo. Well, not each box, but each product is a different logo. And uh, they drop off 30 boxes at the beginning of every month. And uh, you basically have um, three minutes to organize and move your boxes around in in the the little confined warehouse that you have. And then after that point, um, it kicks over into what's called the service phase where the service window at the top of the warehouse opens up and there will be four people requesting products and you have to go through the warehouse and find the products that they're requesting and bring it to them. And if you do it in a timely manner, uh, you will be given stars that you can use at the end of the quarter for upgrades. So it's a, you're just a little box and you're going over to other boxes that are very colorful and have logos on them and picking them up uh, uh, like a grid, like, like the whole game's on a grid. Um, and then you're just kind of organizing them so that when people ask for boxes, you can easily go get them. Um, and uh, uh, af- at the end of every quarter, you have a stock take, which uh, allows you unlimited time for organization, um, as well as the ability to buy upgrades. Uh, and there are upgrades like um, the ability to rotate the blocks. So you're a block and you go and you pick up four blocks to your left um, if you have the rotate upgrade, you can hit R1 or L1 and it'll rotate right or left. Um, and there's, uh, you can upgrade, uh, Wilmot's strength to be able to carry more than just, uh, six boxes. Um, you can, um, uh, get a pager because the game takes place in 1996 and, uh, uh, that'll allow you to see the orders, uh, without having to go, um, up to the hatch. Um, and uh, there's a uh, upgrade called Speedy that allows you to do like a quick dash forward. Um, but uh, probably my favorite thing about the entire game is is that uh, a game itself um, probably takes it, it, like playing through the full game probably takes less than ten hours. Um, but what's really nice about it is that at the end, or very close to the end, um, you're given an upgrade that allows you to create a time lapse. Um, of the entire playthrough and it runs at like i think uh, any somewhere between uh, four and eight x speed um, but it allows you to export it into an actual video file um, so you can just kind of w- watch your entire playthrough your little wilmot like running around the 
the whole playing area, uh, organizing boxes and bringing orders to the front. Um, it's very cute. <laughs> That's my favorite thing about the puzzle game John Wick Hex, where uh, after you solve after you, which is a game I wish was better than it actually is. But uh, it, after you sort of finish the level, you get there's a playback function that lets you um, see John Wick conquer the level just as you did in real time uh th- 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 that's a feature i wouldn't mind seeing in other games oh that's it's so cool a, um, a similar feature in katana zero so you go through the level and at the end you watch it back on the security tapes and that that's really cool oh that's a that's a fun way to incorporate that um i have not played wilmot's warehouse but i am aware of it because uh I, again this is going back into um other content creators i enjoy um vinny caravella formerly of giant bomb talked about Wilmot's Warehouse for a couple weeks on the Giant Beast cast, uh, which is which is a podcast. Um, and I, I think, I, I, I could be misremembering this. I think they were playing it on a tablet, and he was uh, playing it with his son. So is, is this game on, on I mean, it's, it sounds like a game like this, maybe uh, ha- uh, playing it on a touchscreen could really work. Uh, but it was, it was, but he, but Caravella really likes games about, sorting or industry like he plays a ton of factorio and similar and similar and uh similar games but this is basically a a puzzle that gamifies managing goods in a warehouse and and i work sometimes alongside people at my at my uh at my workplace's warehouse and (laughs) this seems like more fun than actual forklift uh, forklifting to to 100 percent (laughs) Uh, 100% and it does have a split screen two-player co-op and it wouldn't surprise me if it was available on tablets Um, it's a very it's a very simple looking game as well as very simple you know gameplay wise I don't want to mislead people I I could be misremembering that it was on tablet but I uh, I'll do some background googling please continue Uh, (laughs) that's kind of it I I I had always been uh, kind of aware of it Um, uh, but it released in 2019 and I didn't get around to playing it until around 2020 after I got my uh, Xbox Series X. Um, I got to play it on Game Pass and uh, it it consumed my life for a, a while. Uh, you know, I, I say that uh, a run takes you about, you know, and it's not like a, a roguelike or something like that, um, you know, but uh, the amount of there are about 500 different products in the game. So just 500 different logos on boxes, really. Uh, but you could only see 200 of them per run. So the max you will get, the max you will unlock when you play through a game is 200, but there are 500 total. So I, I wanted to see all of them. And so I just kept playing. Well, actually, uh, coincidentally to, to you, Nick, I, uh, I also played this in 2020. And at the time, I actually um, I played it over the sort of that summer sort of COVID period. I was actually um, working in a warehouse. So people probably thought I was mad because <laughs> I went to work, moved my boxes around, shipped them off, came home and did the same thing but you're right and it's one of those games that you can you know almost because it's so short you can just play it over and over and over and it's definitely like it's almost like it sounds quite stressful when you describe it but it's actually like quite like quite relaxing quite cathartic in a way yeah there's a very zen uh kind of um just relaxation like you said it's very relaxing to play um, you're just putting, you know, you're organizing it in a way that you want to organize it. You're finding better ways to organize it, uh, over the course of the game. It's a little stressful when you get new boxes, you, when you get new products, uh, you get new, four new products at the end of every month. Um, yeah. but, uh, so, so that's 12 per quarter, but it's not, you know, 
it sounds stressful, but once you kind of get into a groove and you 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 get an idea of how you want to set up your warehouse, it's just very satisfying. Yeah, I think if you had sort of like that sort of OCD itch, it can really like really help you like scratch that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Nick, what stood out to me is you said it's it's um, set in the eighties or nineties. Well, so it it says that it starts in Jan. It, in the top left, it'll show you like the year. Uh, what month it currently is and like how many quarter or how many uh, months you have left to play. And it's just, I don't know why, but it starts out in January, 1996. Oh, that's, that's interesting for such a, I looked up some, some screenshots of it for such a minimalist, like puzzle game to like be set in like a specific time period and like <laughs> yeah. make rule sets or something based kind of restricted by that is so interesting. <laughs> yeah. yeah the, it's the, the deep technology lore behind Wilmot's warehouse. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the only thing that really uh, stands out about it for being 1996 is that pager upgrade. <laughs> I, I did do some background Googling. This game is uh, playable on iPad and other tablets. The uh, I, the Apple Store version is $5 and the Steam version, which is playable on tablets, is $15, which is pretty reasonably priced for a, a, a warehouse organization puzzle game that is as good as it looks and sounds from everything I've heard about this game over the past couple of years. Uh, and and we even have a real live warehouse worker here to confirm its uh, <laughs> to, to, to confirm its integrity and accuracy. It's a uh, it's also a really beautiful game. Um, it is, yeah. It, it the the colors are very vibrant, uh, especially on the black background and uh, Wilmot just being like a white square with a face. Um, but also the animations for Wilmot's face are really are really cute. Um, he uh, he kind of has like a, a smirk on his face normally. Um, but like it, while you're pulling boxes, he kind of has a determined look on his face. And if you grab too many boxes, he gets like a little sweat, um, coming down the side of his face and he looks really, you know, like he's really struggling. Uh, there's just a lot that's, that's that a lot of work that really went into it. And, uh, it looks great as a result. But is Wilmot, uh, actually imagining all of this because of his, <laughs> because of his traumatic, uh, accident from the, that happened in 1995, and really, this entire game is in his imagination. So the DLC, no, no. no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, uh, absurd crossovers aside, um, Tom, I, the last game that you brought to us does not have a crossover or a sequel yet, but people are so thirsty for the one that we've heard of that I think we've talked about it on RPG fan podcasts several times before. Um, Alana and Jano are huge fans of this game as well as you. And I played it for the first time last year and can confirm it's a certified banger. So Tom, uh, the floor is yours. Yeah. So, uh, so Hollow Knight. Yeah. So I think um, when I was sort of like making my list, Hollow Knight was like immediately that was, I knew that was on there, but I had to think like, what, what is so like, there's a lot of Metroidvanias out there. Like it's probably one of the most like popular genres like in the indie space. But what make what what makes Hollow Knight so much better? Well, I'm not saying everyone ever wanted rubbish or anything like that. But what makes Hollow Knight so good? And I think what 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 Hollow Knight does different from a lot of Metroidvanias, in my opinion, is the world building is just is brilliant. Like you play a Metroid game, and yes, the world's interconnected, but it feels very it feels very level based. Whereas Hollow Knight sort of, it does the Dark Souls thing of like, there's a lot of lore if you want to find it. And it encourages you to explore more than other Metroidvanias. And I think that that helps to create a world that feels 
not just interconnected, but also like it would exist whether the player was there or not. And I think that's something quite powerful in a game, and something that that uh, is hard to get right. I think as well as that, on top of this like incredible world, it has its like Dark Souls. It has it this difficulty, and they're sort of like these like extreme highs when you've like you've been like, up against a boss for, for like encounter after encounter, and you you finally do it. You nail the pattern. And you get it down. And I actually, um, after after not playing it, I played it back in 2019. So I've had a little bit of time recently. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to play it again. And just going back to that world, it's like, I already know what I'm in- uncovering. Because I've done it before. But it, it's still like, the magic is still there. And it's like, it's one of those games that is just, it's hard, it's hard to, it's hard to fault it. Everything is brilliant. Like, the st- the soundtrack, especially when you go come into like the main city, the city of tears, it's just it's just so good. I think um, you know, if if someone was to put like a name your top ten games like Hollow Knight without like without a doubt, like top five, I think it's just it nails everything. And and then like you say, like there's so many of us waiting on Silk Song and I mean every event it's like, uh, oh, will it be there? Like the recent PlayStation event it was like, Oh well technically if you're in australia it's on the anniversary of the game's release date so like it's got to be there right it's like no i spent uh 45 minutes waiting to um to watch a uh, suicide squad kill the justice league but besides a wasted <laughs> evening no it's definitely it's def- if you haven't played this game you've, you've really got to pick it up what a bummer <laughs> to expect <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hollow knight 2 and get the suicide squad game. i was like i was like oh it's all right they'll have one more thing won't they and then it was like, and that's all for today. I was like, oh. there, there are people on social media who, at every Nintendo Direct Indie and every uh, one of these PlayStation so- showcases, and probably more events that I'm not thinking of, are all are mentioned, hoping that to see Silk Song there. If you look at the chat in almost any of them, it's just like Silk Song, Silk Song, Silk Song. <laughs> yeah, and and you mentioned that this game uh, had an Australian um, anniversary. I mean, this game was developed by Team Cherry, which is based in Australia. Yeah. And, we've, and and there's, there's not a ton of Australian video games out there, but they've had a bit of a moment the past four or five years. Uh, Untitled Goose Game and uh, uh, Artful Escape and Unpacking, which unpacking, is... Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, Unpacking is uh, another... I, oh, I didn't know you were such a huge fan of games about sorting and organizing boxes, Nick. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, but all those... Yeah, those are all Australian, and um, but ho- but Hollow Knight really is special. Uh, we've had this conversation behind the scenes at RPG Fan before whether we should cover Hollow Knight or not, and all of us basically acknowledge we love this game, but it doesn't have enough RPG elements to cover be covered for the website, which is a little annoying to me because I would I would love to see an RPG Fan official review of Hollow of Hollow Knight or Silk Song in the future, but um, me- mechanically it's deep. And and because uh, your little your little knight is is a very agile, uh, vaguely bug shaped um, warrior, but and uh, and there's a lot of customization you can do with uh, w- with uh, uh, with attacks and heals and jumps and 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 agility and there's a uh, and the environment is this beautiful navigable two uh, uh, D space that again vaguely resembles um like under underground ruins but also a bug like hive in a way because this is a civilization of of bugs, but it's also sort of dark and gothic in a way. It's it's really interesting, and and the sound and the soundscape, which uh, Tom alluded to, is sometimes very atmospheric and dark, and sometimes uh, and energetic 
and fun, almost like, you know, like a Mega Man track. I love the waltz-like music that plays in the Hornet boss fights. Oh, that is, I think, probably the best boss fight of all time. It, it like, I it actually uh, replayed it today, and it just feels like a dance. Hornet 2 is such a dope boss fight. It took me several tries. I had to go and I had to uh, go back and upgrade my sword to because I was just simply not doing enough damage to her. Um, but oh man, like uh, the entire game isn't quite as good as that fight because that fight is is uh, is one of the best parts of the game. But this game has great navigation, great exploration, great atmosphere, awesome boss fights. Uh, sometimes it gets very very challenging, and there's optional boss fights that makes it even more challenging. If if Hornet Two or the final boss are too easy for you, you can fight. Um, souped up versions of several of the bosses by by using dream powers to you know fight dream versions of uh, several of the bosses in the game this game is for the souls fans for the metroidvania fans for the challenge hounds for the fans of games with uh fascinating lore fans of just 2d intense action that that wants you know a, a castlevania game with with better jumping and striking mechanics than you know a 1990 belmont strut but I played Hollow Knight for the first time last year. People had been bugging me to play it at least since 2018 because I think that's when it got its Switch port and a new spike of popularity. Uh, I finally got around to it in 2022, and I was upset it took me that long because this game is dope. I did not 100% it, not even close, but I am considering revisiting it because it's that fun and that good. Yeah, I think one one cool thing about Hollow Knight in comparison to like some other Metroidvanias like you were talking about, Tom, uh, is that it has like really hard platforming like you've almost got uh yeah, like super meat boy style <laughs> like uh platforming sections in it um and a lot of the more modern metroidvanias don't really focus as much on that so um that that really makes it feel a lot different than a lot of the other games in the genre so yeah i think i think ben's absolutely right it's, it's a game that almost it brings together lots of different elements from all your favorite car, all your favorite metroidvania games and sort of delivers in one like whole package that it really is in my opinion like the pinnacle of the genre and if, if you haven't played it yet you really owe it to yourself to, to give it a go excellent well uh, tom i know you're looking forward to silk song I, I think it looks like all four of us are um and that got me thinking sequels crossovers i one of the games i brought capcom versus snk2 is already a crossover i mentioned uh what would it what would it look like if uh if wilmot's warehouse was really uh like like wilmot acting out his trauma in a way similar to a silent hill game um before we go into the end of the episode i, I want you to take the two games you brought uh to today and tell me what a combination of them might look like 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 just to just uh like, like, like we're, we're, we're theory crafting here. Tell me a game or even a mini game or a game within a game of how you would envision the two games you mentioned today combining. I'll, I'll go first to maybe give you an idea of, of what I have in mind. Um, I, I love Infamous 2's open world. I love the characters of Street Fighter and, and uh, Fatal Fury and King of Fighters. I, I, I think that we need... We, we need to have these characters interacting in a way other than a fighting game. I, I would kill for an open world action game set in an urban environment like an infamous game or maybe like a like a like a dragon game where <laughs> perhaps metro city from final fight where capcom and snk characters interacted and got into brawls together i that is something i wish would exist with all my heart but be better than uh than fatal fury wild ambition 
or that last uh, final fight game that they made before they just started remaking the first one over and over. Um, but uh, th- that's enough for me. Uh, ben, what's your vision of an, amal- an amalgam of uh, Ape Escape 3 and Silent Hill 2? Well, I mean, I guess, uh, you know, you could have a 3D platformer where you're James and uh, instead of uh, catching monkeys, you're actually running away from uh, Pyramid Head as he tries to catch you. <laughs> so that might how, be how, a... <laughs> how would you complete a level or do, do you die or uh, uh, what Is happens? A precision platformer? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think, you know, you switch back between the, the Silent Hill world and the other world and you know, jump to different platforms and try to get to the end or get to a safe room or I don't know. <laughs> it would be interesting. That sounds like the SAX sequences in Metroid Fusion. Yeah, a little bit, yeah. <laughs> but, but Nick, how uh, how would Wilmot's Warehouse and Alan Wake uh, somehow combine? I think it's kind of like uh, uh, your... <laughs> the the dark presence comes and uh, uh, can only be defeated by certain types of products and you have to navigate through the warehouse that you've been organizing to find those products to throw at the uh, dark presence to get it to go away. Oh, you're you work in the warehouse of the Bureau from Control <laughs> and you have That's to get perfect. the right you have to get the right tools or items for the director in time. Otherwise, you get swallowed into a hell dimension. Yep. That's that's it. That's it. I, I think we just made a million dollars. Yep. <laughs> Call us remedy. <laughs> Tom, what's your million dollar idea for, that could combine uh, parts of Hollow Knight with parts of Minecraft? I think that's, that's a fairly a fairly difficult one because I think like obviously Minecraft is so much about making your own, whereas Hollow Knight is definitely like the world is crafted almost to perfection. But what I do think you could bring over from Minecraft would, might be quite fun is you already have like the notches and in like the um, in Hollow Knight. Oh no! Like... I, w- I was hoping we would avoid mentioning Notch on this podcast. <laughs> but you already have like yeah, you, so yeah. your upgrade paths from there. But if you were to bring the enchantments from Minecraft and maybe you could change what your nail does for certain bosses and stuff like that in Silk Song, I think that would be that'd be quite an interesting uh, an interesting avenue to go down. Yeah, there is a little bit of um, because your weapon's called the nail in Hollow Knight. There is some nail upgrading and customizing you can do in Hollow Knight, but it, it's pretty light. It's always the same shape and arc generally. But but the, yeah, there's, there's more they could do with weapon customization in Hollow Knight. That's that's interests me. But anyway, uh, uh, thank you, Nick, Tom, and Ben, for playing my silly game and sharing with us a combined uh, uh, eight games um, that aren't RPGs for today's episode. Uh, and uh, and thank you, listeners, for putting up with us for, uh, for close to an hour and a half. Um, this is Retro Encounter, RPG Fans Weekly Podcast and Many Topics, and we went for a topic that's pretty outside our usual wheelhouse for this episode. Um, I hope that you uh, like are at least a little curious about one of these eight games after listening to us, uh, because it's, it's very unlikely that most of our audience has played all eight, because we, we hit a lot of different eras and genres and, and characters and, and companies, even, even different continents in this episode which is uh, not what we usually do. But uh, but thank you, Ben, Nick, and Tom, and thank you, audience. But uh, audience, if you're interested in the future of Retro Encounter, let's talk about that a little bit. Um, we're doing two episodes on Like a Dragon, Ishin, the very samurai game I mentioned earlier today, uh, coming next week and the following week. I'm enjoying it a lot, so I can tell you at least that part one is going to be a very positively toned episode. Um, and coming in April, we have I, I think we have all four episodes planned out. 
We're doing one episode on fan translation projects, one episode on Persona 4, one of my favorite uh, late-era PS2 games, and two episodes on Lost Odyssey, an Xbox 360 RPG uh, uh, that is going to be the game journal of April. So please uh, look forward to Like a Dragon Isshin, Lost Odyssey, Persona 4, and fan translations in over the next six weeks. But listeners, if you have questions for us about any of those things or uh, horror games I should never play or fighting games I definitely should play, the best way you can reach out to us is to email retro at rpgfan.com. RPG Fan is also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Discord, YouTube, Twitch, always called either RPG Fan or RPG Fan.com on those places. Uh, RPG Fan recently has an RPG Fan shop. If you go to RPGFan.com slash shop, you will be linked to a T public page that has uh, clothing, mugs, phone cases, and many more things emblazoned with the RPG Fan Emerald Shield. We have a special 25th anniversary uh, merch coming out um, on that shop as well. So please check out all of that on the RPG Fan shop and all of those places that I mentioned where you can find RPG Fan stuff. Uh, but speaking of podcasts... Retro Encounter is not the only podcast on RPG Fan, although it's the only one you hear me on for the most part. There's also Random Encounter every two weeks about randomness and Rhythm Encounter every other two weeks about RPG music. Please listen and review to Random, Rhythm, and Retro Encounter on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or however you prefer to listen. Give us feedback. We love feedback, especially when that feedback is five out of five stars. But uh, if you want to give us five out of five stars as individuals and not as a podcast, let's tell you how to find us via our social media content information starting with you nick uh you can find me on twitter at nickman writes um and that's about it now tom yeah the best place to find me is also twitter at uh, voiceless tom now ben actually uh don't really have a twitter or any other social accounts so uh if you want to find me um i, I guess you won't <laughs> I admire your ability to not be on social media in this day and age. It's something I'm increasingly considering doing. But alas, the time is not yet because I am on Twitter most easily found uh, at The Real Monsoon most of the time, at Evoker for Dogs at other times. And on RPG Fans Discord, I am called Monsoon Mike. <sighs> well, I've been trying to avoid buying too many new games in 2023, but I've, I'm afraid I've had to add some things to my wish lists on uh, Steam and Deku Deals and E-Starland and other places that I wish would sponsor us as a podcast. But listeners, thank you. Good night and good luck. Mm-hmm.